Alex Anthopoulos sets the stage for Brave Spring Training. I think we're in a good position, but it's nice to be able to watch these guys for the next six weeks of games. Welcome to the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast that takes you inside the clubhouse, gives you the stories behind the score, and brings you to Cool Today Park. We are at again as Braves Spring Training continues. I'm Jay Black with AJC Braves beat reporter Justin Toscano. And uh, Justin, as week two of spring training begins, we've got our first big-time guest on the podcast, Alex Anthopoulos. Yeah, that's as big as it's ever going to get um, as long as we're doing a Braves podcast. He was great, and of course, in advance, you know, we want to thank him for taking his time out. He's a very busy guy, um, and he took 30 minutes with us, and they were 30 very good minutes, so I think you guys are going to enjoy it. All right, so we will uh, get Alex's thoughts on some of the position battles, the rule changes, some of his secrets to success, and does he prefer a big trade or a big contract extension? Plus, we'll have some of the news as position players finally report to spring training here coming up from Northport, Florida. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome aboard, and make sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. All right, before we get to Alex, want to quickly just touch on the news that we've had today and uh, this is the day that the position players were supposed to report most have already been here but now it looks like everybody's here yeah marcelo zuna is here danny echeverria is here um those are the two i saw the two new faces we saw at least an open clubhouse everybody's here we're getting ramped up for the first full squad workout which when you're listening to this podcast will be going on yep that'll be on uh, tuesday morning and how will that look different from what we've seen this week where you know most everybody's here but before they're supposed to be here yeah i mean now it's been bp with the guys who are here some live bps uh for the hitters they've been going through you know hitting in the cage doing their own workouts it, it'll just be more organized i mean at this point they'll go longer um and more organized different groups things like that so not a ton of change it's coming up on Wednesday's show. We'll bring you some of the audio we picked out from the clubhouse on Monday from Marcelo Zuna and some of the others. But let's go ahead and bring in now the star of this episode, Braves president of baseball operations, Alex Anthopoulos, makes his debut on the Braves Report. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Glad to be on, guys. Well, you're uh, you're joining us on the phone. What is the uh, GM schedule at this point in spring training? Yeah, just um, you know, before the game start, it's uh, guys are coming in, just a bunch of administrative things to get a handle on, but. Things really only get busy once game starts. So there's always things to do, and it's nice to have everybody together again and spend time and connecting with people because everyone's really under one roof for a long period of time. Um, but, you know, it's really a lot of administrative stuff before the game starts. Alex, you've always said, uh, you told us a couple times this offseason that you can't go in with checklists. Maybe you have priorities, but you've got to do the right deals. Given all of that, how do you feel like the offseason went for you guys, and how happy are you with what you did coming into camp? Yeah, I always, you know, you get asked that question all the time, and I always say, ask me in eight months or whatever it's going to be at the end of the season, right? Um, but look, I think everybody, you're always, there's just pockets of time over the course of the season or that you have an opportunity to do things. So one is trade deadline, one is off season. Obviously, people are very engaged. 
Um, and then really at the end of spring, there'll be some decisions made, guys that are out of options that get DFA'd, guys that have out clauses in terms of minor league free agent deals, things like that. But, um, you know, really those are the times that you can go ahead and do things and get things done. So you know, the one thing we've said, like you mentioned, is we're not going to force deals. But look, I think like anything, um, you're always trying to do everything you can to make the club better. And um, you realize that uh, there's always going to be opportunities at various times over the course of the year. One guy you brought in is Sean Murphy. Um, and with the r- new rule changes, I know at the GM meetings, you said you didn't know how that was going to impact front offices thinking. But how nice is it to have a guy like that, given those rule changes where defense is his calling card and you guys might have a leg up there now? Yeah, look, there's no doubt. I mean, that's part of the appeal with him. He's an elite defensive player. Um, I mean, that goes without saying with gold gloves and things like that. But um, look, the rule changes, we expect there are people to run more. It's going to be easier to do. Obviously, you can only throw over so many times. Expansion of the size of the bases, all those things should be conducive to uh, the increased uh, ability of guys to run and steal bases. So having a guy like Sean, who's elite, who's right there at the top of his position, one of the top guys, is certainly going to help. But you know, we, love, we love that about him. We love the, the game calling. You know, we think there's a lot of upside to his bat as well. Um, and knowing him and Darno collectively, uh, we're just, you know, you know one thing about that position, it's a two-man position. No one's playing 162 games back there. So, you know, you're going to have to split it up. Guys are going to need day games after night games off, things like that. You know, God forbid somebody gets hurt. Now we're, we're really protected. So uh, we feel really good. We're excited to have him. We're excited that he's here long term. And, uh, yeah, I think the defense should certainly come into play for us. On the flip side, did that make somebody like Eli White more appealing to take a flyer on with his elite speed? Yeah, I think there's no doubt. I mean, every year we always talk about this going into the trade deadline or even, you know, before you had changes where you couldn't add after July 30th or you could add after July 31st in August. It was looking to make sure you've got a speed guy in the organization that comes up September or postseason. If you want a guy that can steal a base or run, you have that. So look, there's no doubt Eli White is one of the fastest players in the game. Um, he's right up there at the top. The, the defense is incredible as, as well. So the fact that he has options, he's depth. We know we're going to need depth in the outfield and having an elite defender and an elite uh, speed guy, uh, especially one that has options remaining, uh, was pretty exciting for us to acquire for for depth. As a fan of baseball, how do you feel about these changes? I I love them. I'm a huge proponent of shorter games. I really am. And again, I look, I work in baseball. I love baseball. I'm, you know, I, I don't think anybody likes seeing three and a half hour games. You know, I guess maybe some people do, but I think it's good when games are crisp and the action is, is starting to move and so on. And, you know, two and a half hour games, I think it's the right thing to do for the industry going forward, competing with other sports. I think now you're on the same level as the NBA and some of the, these other sports. Um, and I think it'll be good. I think, you know, look, in terms of shifting things like that, I'm fine with whatever we would have done. Uh, all 30 teams have the same rules, so I'm fine with that. But the number one thing for me is just that, you know, the, the time of the games I expect to come way down, and hopefully they'll be in that two-and-a-half-hour mark, and I think having a clock will, will be really big. On that note, did you like the MLB continuing the extra innings rule? Because I know when those games got up to 14, 15 innings in the past, I assume it would be tough to – keep a thin pitching staff, and that would really stress the roster. What do you feel about that extra innings rule continuing? Yeah, I mean, look, anything that we can eliminate, like you said, 14 innings, 15 innings, it's just not good. We're playing 162 games. We're playing every day. Um, 
guys go out and throw scoreless two or three innings, and you know you've got to likely either you have to option them back to the minors or DFA them if they're out of options. And that's if they're for just doing their jobs. It isn't fair, but it's just the reality of it, right? You need guys for the following day. So it's hard enough to keep guys off the IL. And I think, you know, what's one thing when it's it's the playoffs and at that point, totally different game with off days. But I think during the season, um, trying to shorten up these games and not have them go 18 innings, 17 innings, I think is a, a good thing. Uh, people will always have complaints. I don't know of a better solution. So it definitely has has worked in terms of shortening games and having them not go too long. Right. And you mentioned Eli White a couple minutes ago when Jay asked, what about left field? Let's talk about that for a couple minutes. You guys have a lot of options out there. You know, maybe Marcelo Zuna is one of them. You guys have Eddie Rosario, you know, and you guys have a couple guys in those two that, that could bounce back. But you added Jordan Luplo and you have Eli White. You have Kevin Pillar. What is your comfortability level just about the depth you have there and that something will stick? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the biggest thing is you look at Ozuna and Rosario. Those guys are bad first guys. They didn't hit the way they had in their careers last year. So we need to see how they look in camp, how they look swinging the bat. You know, and then you look at the other guys that we brought in. They're elite defensive players. They played center field. They can really defend. Offensively, they haven't been close to where Ozuna and Rosario have been. But, you know, if we ultimately come away that we just were not that confident or we don't feel that those other guys that are swinging, you know, swinging the bat the way they, they can, there's the ability now to go with a great defender. And look, some of these guys, these other guys we've talked about with defense, there's upside to the bat. They just haven't done it consistently year in and year out. Um, so, but they have the tools to do it. So, but again, whatever, however we break or however we start, that obviously can change over the course of the year. So I think the biggest thing is a lot of these guys have options. We can move them in and out. So they can just go with our hand. But we wanted to make sure as a floor we knew we were going to be covered defensively, and we know with all the guys we brought in, we have the opportunity, if we choose to go that way, to have elite defense in left field, elite defense in center. We think Ronald will be back when he was in the past, and elite defense in right, which is huge for us with our rotation and our bullpen. And if Rosario and Ozuna swing the bat the way they have in the past, then we're in really good shape because now we've got the lineup gets even stronger. So I think we're in a good position, but it's nice to be able to watch these guys for the next six week, weeks of games. You alluded to it a little bit, um, and tell me if I'm crazy here, but I look at a guy like Jordan Luplo or, or a guy you know, like Eli White, the elite defense. If guys like Rosario and Ozuna don't hit as much, it seems like the defense first guys you know, could get some everyday playing time in a lineup that should be strong otherwise, where you might not need that left field spot. Obviously, you would like it. Am I thinking on the right path there in terms of those guys getting some more time if the other guys don't hit well? Yeah, I think, look, we've got left field is wide open. It's competition. When we acquired Robbie Grossman last year, the thought initially was he'd be a platoon. And uh, he ultimately started getting the lion's share of at bats. And, you know, Snit's going to go with hot hand. So and right now we're not handing left field to anybody, regardless of contractual status and so on. And it's really going to be something that evolves over time. Now, look, some of these guys are going to get hurt. And some of the decisions will take care of themselves. But, again, everyone's going to have a real opportunity there. And again, just because we start a certain way doesn't mean it maintains. You've got to hold that position the, the entire year. And I could say that about the five spot in the rotation. I could say that about starting short shortstop. Obviously, you've got a competition there as well. So, you know, I, I used Contreras last year as an example. He did not come in thinking he was going to get the line share of at the DH. He just did. He earned it. He played well. So we want to be in a position where guys are playing well, and it makes it hard on Smith, like we had in 21 when he had to find playing time for four outfielders between Duvall and Jock and Soler and Rosario. And it was tough for him to find a way to get them all playing time. But 
it's a great problem to have. That means you have good players that deserve to play. We've talked about shortstop a lot on this podcast, ad nauseum. I don't want to talk about it anymore. We've talked Dansby leaving up the wall. But I'm going to try to ask you this, and because we've analyzed this part of it. When you're looking at, when you were looking over the offseason, or maybe in the last few months, at Grissom and what he could give you versus maybe a veteran shortstop there versus Orlando Arcia versus Dansby Swanson. Maybe you don't expect a five-win season from a shortstop, but how do you balance what Grissom can give you in two years, in three years, on the back end and the upside, you know, and when, when you're factoring this all in? Yeah, I think that's, I think when you look at the five years I've been here, and obviously we've been really, we're grateful that we won the division, but those five years, just thinking Dansby specifically, you know, 2018, he wasn't the same player he was in 2022. Who still won the division. And you know, there were other years where he missed time and guys like Adini Echeverria were getting a ton of playing time. We still won the division. So, um, you know, our players know this and I certainly have preached this. We don't want to build a roster that's contingent upon one player. We need depth. We need a really good play. We need a really good team. And I think there's no better example of 2021. We had great clubhouse guys, guys that led, guys that did it the right way, guys that were having great seasons. And we still have to go out and get a lot of players at the deadline because we didn't have that depth. And I can go around the horn at that point. Freddie Freeman was having an MVP caliber year. Ozzy Albies was having a fantastic year, all-star year. Dansby was having a great year. Riley was having an MVP caliber year. Acuna was having an MVP caliber year. Ian Anderson was throwing the ball great. Freed was throwing the ball great. Charlie Morton was throwing the ball great. So you start adding all that up, and we were, we were still below 500. And those are awesome people, great leaders in the clubhouse, tremendous seasons. And they can't do it alone. It's not the NBA where one guy can basically carry you. No matter how good you are, you just can't do it alone. So you need a deep roster, 1 through 26, plus beyond for that 40-man. So um, I think like anything else, I think trying to for us to really feel like one position is going to make or break the season, then we haven't done a good job as a baseball operations group putting the team together. So whoever ends up playing shortstop, we just want to have, you know, one, we want solid, solid, playable defense. Of course, you'd love gold glove defense. But it needs to be playable where you're satisfied there. And then the rest is upside in terms of the bat and things like that. But, you know, again, with all these guys, long term, the more reps they get, the more time they get, it, it should serve them well. All right, we'll pause the interview right there and we'll step aside for just a second. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. What's so great about being a Kroger Boost member? Free delivery on the Kroger products you love and more rewards, too like double fuel points on everything you buy. Experience a new level of membership, starting as low as $59 a year with Boost by Kroger Plus. Learn more at Kroger.com today. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. All right, quick reminder, if you're not subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, now is a perfect time to do so because we are flooding the zone with Braves content from Northport, Florida this spring training. Justin's here. Michael Cunningham, our columnist, has just arrived. Gabe Burns will be coming in later. And the only way you can get everything that we have to offer here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is to become a subscriber. We've got a special deal going on right now, unlimited digital access to the AJC for 99 cents for the next six months. So you'll get all of our stories on AJC.com, 
everything in the e-paper, access to all of our newsletters, including the Braves Report and Bradley's Buzz from our columnist Mark Bradley. You get all that by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast, so you always know what's really going on. All right, now we continue our conversation with Alex Anthopoulos. Moving to the rotation a little bit, Max Fried told us all the other day at that kind of spring training opening scrum that he's open to it. If you guys want to talk, you guys have had good communications. He loves it here. He's open to it. I guess the way I would ask this, because I know your policy on these things, what would you say to the fans who might be a little bit pessimistic or cynical about that situation, given what they saw with Dansby and Freddie and how those unfolded? Yeah, I, I get it. You know, normally it's when guys have a year left, not when they have two years left. And I understand. I've talked to Max about it too. So he knows where we stand. We don't, so, uh, you know, beyond that, obviously those conversations are private, but I think it's accurate so that we've had good dialogue. I think like anything else, there's, um, we're always trying to keep our players long-term. We're always thinking long-term. Of course, we're also worried about the short-term as well. We have them under contract for two seasons, uh, no matter what. You know, and, and beyond that, I just think trying to get into odds and things like that, it just doesn't do anybody any good. But, yeah, I guess I feel like the conversation started maybe a year earlier than expected. I would have expected these discussions or not, not discussions, the, the, the topic of him to come up going into the last years of someone's deal. That's what's happened in the past. But, you know, and I, I get it because I understand we've signed a, a lot of other players and uh, it only it's a fair thing to ask. So, you know. We've had good dialogue. We we know where we're both at. You know, beyond that, just going to keep it in house. It's obviously been an impressive run of of high quality players that you've been able to lock up. Maybe even an unprecedented run. How does that process go? How long does it take to to get to the point where you hit send on that press release and you've got Michael Harris locked up for a decade? You know, it all depends. It all depends. Sometimes it's easy. It's clean. There's things to point to. There's comparable players that look so similar that, you know, you know that, you know, we call them comps comparable, but hey, for some players, there isn't, right? If you're the earlier you're doing these deals, um, there's not as many guys that have deals that are assigned so young. So that might take a little longer. Some of these other guys, it could be quick. So it all depends. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, players have to want to do it. And it's some guys prefer to go year to year and just, make sure that they don't leave a penny on the table, which is completely fair and they're right. And look, there's risk to that. Obviously, if you have a down season, if you get hurt, you know, things can change. But that some guys choose to do that, and that's what they prefer to do, and that's totally fair. Some guys want the security, you know, and they um, they want to know where they're going to be. They don't have to worry about it. So we won't even start the process if someone is just saying, look, I just prefer to go year to year at this point and so on. And, and that's completely fine and within the right, and we're glad to have them. I think we lose sight of the fact that, you have these guys for six years. It's a long time to begin with, you know? So, but really to try to pin, pin down and say how long it takes, it really depends. Some are quick, some take longer. But for the most part, I think the biggest thing is when both sides want it to happen and, you know, they want both the same things, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it certainly helps. What's more fun for you, working on a long-term extension or trying to make a trade? Oh, I'll take a trade. <laughs> I, I don't like the extension. They're not fun. They're not fun at all. They take years off your life um <laughs> stuff you know it just it's uh it's it's a it's, it's a grind it's tough it's you know you're trying to find you know you're trying to balance long term of the organization but you're also trying to make sure that, that the player is treated fairly and he feels valued at the same time and um you know it's just they're long you know trades 
are hard too. They're obviously hard to make, but um, you know, you just I guess it's a there's a little bit of excitement where hey, you're acquiring a player. It's not to say you're not excited about keeping your players long term, but you already have the player, right? So. I mean, the level of excitement isn't the same. I, I view the extension pieces, okay, we're hopefully, if we're right on the player, we're solidifying things down the road, whereas a trade is more, you know, unless you're trading for a prospect, it's more of a now move. You're impacting your club immediately. There's an adrenaline burst. There's a boost to your clubhouse. It's exciting. You know, just like when you call up a young player, you make a trade. Everyone always likes that first game, gets new, you know, you get to see the new new players and so on. But they're both very hard to do. And and what's it like being you on a daily basis? I mean, do your wife does your wife do your wife and kids want to know if you're going to keep Dansby or get a player? Does the next door neighbor want to know? People at the store? I mean, I bet every it seems like everybody in Atlanta is very excited about this team year round. Yeah, so my uh, my kids get asked a little bit at school. My <laughs> daughter's older; she's in sixth grade, so people will ask her, thinking she's going to like spill spill the beans, and <laughs> she doesn't. She knows not to, so she'll just say. I have no idea. I don't know what's going on. And look, to be fair, um, we don't sit around the table and talk about work. Right. You know, we talk about other things and this and that. My son's a bit more of a, a fan, so he'll be a little more curious. Um, but because he's in fourth grade, it's not really a topic as much. Um, I'll get asked things. I remember going out to dinner um, 2019 off season. I was like, getting asked about Josh Donaldson signing him back. Um, so, look, I view that as a good thing, right? People are interested in the team, especially in the off season. They care about the team, care about the Braves. Um, so, um, I, I think the greater interest in the team, the better it is. I mean, that's what we're trying to shoot for. I think that's why you see the attendance as strong as it is, and TV ratings and so on. And I think it's a great thing. I think the more interest in the team, the fact that people care about these players, they get attached to these guys, is certainly great. Um, and you feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to keep it going, right? To, to to make sure that we stay competitive in year in year out. And I think the one thing is that I can never put myself in front of anything. You know, if that means I'm going to get criticized and so on, but I think we're, we're doing right by the organization that comes with the territory that comes with a job. So um, at the end of the day, you just have to hopefully still produce results and get back to the playoffs year in and year out. Right, right. So I was scanning through your guys' press releases um, earlier this morning, trying to see if there was something new. Uh, but I think the last update we saw was that your contract runs through 2024. You're beloved here. We get asked by fans all the time. You know, they'd say, you're given extensions. Why don't you give one to yourself? How can, 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 can Braves fans feel comfortable that you're going to be leading their group for a long time? Yeah, I'm, I have every expectation um, to be here as long as they want me here. And I have no expectation of going anywhere. And um, I love it here. I love being here. I love who I work for. I love who I work with. It's awesome. To me, it's as good a... I will not find better. I can tell you that. So um, without getting any more specific than that, and, um, you know, just because of just the privacy of the organization and so on, it's not... Those aren't my, those aren't my announcements to make. My full expectation is I expect to be here for a while. So for our listeners who don't know, Alex, you started as a media relations intern in Montreal. Then you went over to scouting. You've been climbing the ladder ever since. I'm wondering if you take yourself back to those years when you were a 20-something, what did you learn then that maybe now you know, like, hey, a 20-something in your own organization now, this is how you want to treat them. This is kind of the opportunity you want to give them. How do you empower those young people in your organization now to feel like there's a future in baseball for them? Wow, that's a great question. It's a heavy question. You know, I think back, I was 23, I guess, so when I started... Um, 
loved evaluating. I still do. I loved scouting. It's still the thing I enjoy the most um, to this day. But at the same time, um, I think the biggest thing is just giving people an audience, really encouraging the fact that there's no bad ideas at all and you want people to feel comfortable and be able to share those ideas and so on. But, you know, the biggest thing for me and these positions, and I tell my kid this all the time, is just find something you have passion for. And I think that will drive everything, right? That'll drive your thirst to learn, your work ethic. If you're not passionate, sure. I mean, I don't know. I'd say a lot of the majority of people have to do jobs that they don't have a real passion for, but look, they have responsibilities, they have families and so on. And we're fortunate. I think when you're passionate, you know, you likely should do very well and you should excel. So I would say the majority of people that work in sports have that because you sacrifice a lot. Uh, the pay isn't good, especially when you're starting and uh, the hours are not good, but if you love it, there's, there's nowhere you prefer to be. So, you know, I would say even the other day, just, you know, just being around the club, I was talking to some of the players that just kind of, st- I stopped myself for a little bit. And I thought, wow, I still, I still love it. I still love doing this. I still love talking baseball. I still love being around the guys. It's, you know, my passion is still really, really strong. And, you know, it's a reminder of why I got into this in, in the, in, in the beginning. And there are obviously a lot of those tough days, long hours, days that don't go how you want, results that don't go how you want. And I'm assuming that passion is kind of what carries you through those. Yeah, look, you know that there's, you know, that those are the hard parts of the job, right? You just, um, the ups and downs, you try to stay even keel. But look, yeah, when things aren't going well or teams not playing well or decisions you make don't work out, it's tough. But that's just being competitive, you know, and you realize that. Um, how competitive it is and how talented everybody is that works for the other teams and how hard it is to reach your goals and get to the playoffs and win the World Series. So um, you try over time to balance it out a little bit more. I I don't know that everyone's ever going to solve it. Uh, But look, no one's going to feel sorry for you, right? They say, well, you have one of the greatest jobs in the world. And and it is. It is. So, you know, but I think think like anything else, there's a pride component to it. You want to be successful. And I think that would be in any career that, that, that you have. And the difference is that we get results basically day in and day out. Um, one of those people, you know, you always talk about, I think I've heard you say this, you know, when we talked for a couple stories last year, you don't believe in these buzzwords and reading all these books. You can do that, but you can't put a blueprint in. You bring in good people and good people. You flood the organization with them. I think Dana Brown was one of those good people. Um, and he did a really good job here. And I'm wondering, you know, Obviously, a lot of people will think that his departure affects the organization, and I am curious on your thoughts on that. But first, can you take us through what it meant to you to to see Dana get that opportunity and what your initial emotions were, um, knowing that he had a couple interviews in the past when he he finally got hired and you saw him get that magnificent opportunity? Yeah, I think like anything else, from a selfish standpoint and obviously from a brave standpoint, we want him here, want to keep him here. He's been so impactful and he's done so much already. Uh, and, you know, in all the success that we've had here. At the same time, you want to see your employees, you want to see them rewarded and acknowledged by other teams. And look, it's flattering at the same time when you have organizations that say, I, I like the way the Braves are doing things. I'm going to take a look at their their org chart and see if there's someone that uh, we think can help lead baseball operations. So that makes you feel good about your hiring process and the people you have and so on. So, um, look, it's, uh, you know, I don't, it's obviously a loss. You know, you lose great people. It's certainly a loss. It doesn't mean it's not one you can't overcome. And look, we lost Perry Manassian a few years ago to the Angels, and he was part of three division winning teams. And uh, you know that that was obviously a loss. But you know, we didn't we didn't replace Perry specifically. We just gave other people opportunities, and we spread everybody out and expanded roles. And 
And it's the same thing with, with Dana, you know, Kerry's job was for Perry and Dana's job was for Dana. And I think the one thing is that, you know, they were here for Perry three years and Dana five, you know, we had three years, we lost Alex Tam and obviously the angels as well, but, and some other guys that went to Anaheim and they, you know, I would expect Dana over time will probably, you know, want to hire some employees that he's working with the Braves. And if there's real opportunities for them, you know, we'll, we'll be supportive of that. But, you know, I guess what I would say is that you're hoping during that time that the, those other people have had time. It's almost like losing a player at the big league level, but you have hopefully some, you know, some young players that are on the way up that could fill in those gaps. And we feel really good about the group that we have that, that we, we can have the next, guys like Perry, like Dana, the next impactful guys. So um, I think we're giving more people opportunities. I think it's exciting for them, exciting for the organization from a morale standpoint. I think it's important. And uh, look, I think like anything else, I feel good about it. You know, and I, I feel really good about it. I feel good about the group that we have. No one knows the names right now because they're not front and center. But I think over time, the hope is that, you know, we're here a long time and guys continue to get opportunities to be GMs. And that means we're, we're doing the right things. All right. Well, a couple more things. We'll wrap up. Get you out of here. A couple quick hitters first. How sh- how concerned should we be about Soroka? No, I not at all right now. Just that, again, it's a hamstring, and it's not. Again, we tell guys, especially early games having started. If you feel anything at all, why even take a chance? Right, we have so much time. We reported early. You know, we don't. It's not even something on our minds. And be candid with you. It's not even. I don't even like. It's, it's for me. He's going to be like everybody else and be competing and. You know, when the games start, we'll get all these guys their work and their innings, and we'll see where we're at at the end of camp. And is everybody else healthy coming into camp? Yeah, look, we have guys that are. I think it's. I think it's fair to say um, you always have guys that are banged up and sore and things like that. But you know, right now, I, you know, the biggest thing for us is: do we have anybody that we think will not be ready for opening day? And I think that's the biggest thing we look at. Like guys might come in, and like Soroka has a sore hamstring, or someone has a sore knee, or a sore, a sore back. Those are the things we're going to announce daily because they don't impact anything right now. I think, you know, the things that are newsworthy for us are if guys are going to have some type of surgery or we think they're going to miss opening day or things like that. So as of right now, sure, we have guys that are coming in that are doing stuff and, you know, that are just getting on the field that are sore, but we don't have anybody right now that we do not expect to be ready for opening day other than the obvious guys like Tyler Matzik and Anoa that had Tommy John. That's good news. So the last thing I got for you, we usually do the Ask Justin segment. I'm tired of being on the hot seat. I'm going to put you on there. We ask for fans for questions. This is one we always get, so I want to get your take on this first. Someone wants to know, and I'm, I'm curious, I'd have to admit as well, when, when and why did you first adopt the thing about just releasing news in a press release? You don't like to leak. You want to kind of just keep everything in-house. When did that become so important to you, and how did you discover that it did? I think um, being an assistant GM in Toronto, I just saw um, trades go sideways, signings go sideways, just a lot of a lot of distractions. Um, you spend more time having to return phone calls and texts and things like that. It's just easier to work when things are quiet, right? I mean, I think you know anybody that works in an office. Some people say they come in really early. Well, it's really nice they come in early. There's no one around. I can get things done, or they stay late. I can get things done. So there's less noise. There's less, there's there's fewer distractions. So I think like anything else, that's all it is. I just think it's more beneficial. It helps me do my job. I know it's not fun for fans. I know they want to know who we're talking to, who we're thinking of signing, what we're doing, trades, all that kind of stuff. But it's just complicated. And look, the other thing is you don't want other teams to know what you're doing too, who you're looking to trade for and all those kind of things. So there's no advantages there. So I guess I'd say is if someone could give me some compelling cases to – 
how it would help us get better and that would lead to more wins, I'd be all for it. But I have more de- downside than upside, and I think that's why we've just done it the way we have. I'm just impressed you can get your kids to buy into the Alex Anthopoulos uh, policy of silence like that. Yeah, well, you know what? I just don't t- tell them much, <laughs> you know, because I did, I did tell them some stuff early when they were young, and they would slip a little bit and you know want to tell people, you know, their, their cousins, and so um, even my wife will warn me sometimes. You know, there's times I, the odd time they ask me, I'll talk to them, but sometimes my wife will kind of, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to say that? Um, so she'll make she'll she'll check me a little bit. Um, you know, and, and the great thing is she doesn't ask ever, you know, she never asks. She just, she's my wife and she's not worried about sports and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so yeah, I think it's, I think we just keep our circle very, very small and that way, you, you know, you can't have leaks and it's, you know, we'll tell people when, well, they need to know. And, you know, there's times that it's only, you know, if I need someone's opinion, obviously they're going to be included and. Um, if things are getting close and they're practically done, I need to make some phone calls and let certain people know. I mean, you know, the one person that knows everything at all times is Terry McGurk. He's my boss, obviously. Uh, but him and then, you know, our senior level baseball operations group, uh, which is a very small group. So, you know, you, you don't worry about leaks or you don't have to worry about anything like that when you know you're, you're keeping your group very, very small. Well, that sounds like a good place for us to stop talking. So, uh, Alex, we really do appreciate you coming on the podcast for the first time, and I hope this is the first of many. Yeah, thanks, Alex. All right, guys. Really glad to be on. Appreciate it. All right, wrapping things up here, Justin, what did you think of what he had to say? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, Braves fans, one, can breathe you know, a sigh of relief. He's going to be here. He wants to be here. That's totally genuine. And two, I think as we're looking at the nitty-gritty of all this, they really prioritize roster depth. Um, that was one thing that stood out to me from the first part of the podcast was just that, I mean, it, the floor, right? Raising the floor. If you don't have that depth, things can crack. Baseball teams aren't built on two or three guys. Um, and I think he's really prioritized that. And also just, I mean, I felt like he gave us a good answer to Max Free that kind of goes with the way we've been reading the tea leaves. They know, you know, he knows how they feel about him. And, you know, the ball is in the court. We'll see what happens. Inching closer now to games. First full squad workout is on Tuesday, and uh, we'll have coverage along with Michael Cunningham then. So uh, check back with us often on the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on.